We all understand how marketing works. Companies try to persuade us to buy their product or service, but sometimes they use tricky design techniques or psychological tactics to make the sale, such as pre-checked boxes that obligate us to more than we'd bargained for, hard-to-find disclosures, and confusing cancellation policies. They're called dark patterns, and as more commerce moves online, they're growing in scale and sophistication, so you need to know about them. I'm Herb Weisbaum, the Consumer Man, a contributing editor at Checkbook.org. Welcome to Consumerpedia. At Checkbook.org, we're the nonprofit that helps consumers select services, avoid trouble, and save money. Because we don't accept any advertising or take money from any business we recommend, you can rely on Checkbook.org to be completely independent and objective. Now, here's the host of Consumerpedia, America's consumer expert, the Consumer Man, Herb Weisbaum. Dark patterns, they're designed to deceive, to obscure, or impair consumer choice and decision-making. Some dark patterns may violate the law. A recent report from the Federal Trade Commission shows how companies are increasingly using these sophisticated dark patterns. Let's find out what's going on and how to protect yourself. Sam Levine is head of the FTC's Consumer Protection Bureau. He joins us from FTC headquarters in the nation's capital. Hi there, Sam. Thank you for being with us again. Great to be here, Herb. You know, dark pattern is a, it might be a new term to many of your listeners, but I'm sure it's not a new experience for them. So if you find a dark pattern that appears to be illegal, you sue the company. You did that with Vonage, the internet phone company, alleging it used dark patterns to hide junk fees and make it difficult or impossible for customers to cancel. And in November, Vonage settled that lawsuit by agreeing to refund $100 million to consumers and change their business practices. Tell us more about what Vonage was doing. Yeah, I think our action against Vonage makes clear just how seriously we take this problem. As you mentioned, Herb, the company is paying $100 million that we're going to be returning to consumers who were victims of some of these practices. What we allege in our complaint, and I suspect this is going to be familiar to consumers, whether they have been customers of Vonage or not, is among other things, Vonage made it very easy for consumers to enroll in its service and very difficult for consumers to cancel. One of our blog posts on the topic described this like the Hotel California. Just to take one example, we allege that Vonage required canceling customers to speak to a live retention agent over the phone. They could only call the live retention agent during limited working hours. Also alleged in our complaint, they made it difficult for consumers to find the contact information so that they could cancel the service. And companies use a whole host of techniques to try to prevent consumers from easily canceling their service. And what's frustrating about it, Herb, in addition to being frustrating for the consumer, we know that companies can make it easy because we know how easy it is to enroll in these services. Companies have gotten very good at making it very easy for consumers to sign up for services in a seamless way. And what we're telling companies is you should apply that same know-how to make it just as easy for consumers to cancel services that they no longer want. You have to call up to cancel and you are on hold for 20 minutes or an hour or something like that. And they really make it inconvenient for people to say, I don't want this service anymore. Exactly. Exactly. And we know they have the capability in most instances for consumers to cancel online. We actually put out a policy statement at the end of 2021 
where we made clear that companies should make it as easy for consumers to cancel services as it is to enroll. But we know that this remains a problem, and that's why we brought a high-profile action against Vonage. We've brought a high-profile action against Credit Karma for other forms of dark patterns. And there's going to be continued aggressive enforcement work by the FTC to get this message across that dark patterns will not be tolerated when they harm consumers. Credit Karma is such a big name. Everybody's heard about that. Can you give us some idea of what the FTC alleged they were doing, the dark patterns involved there? Sure. So Credit Karma is not a case about cancellation. It's about another technique that we see. What Credit Karma is accused of doing is telling consumers, based on testing they had done that showed this was effective, telling consumers they'd been pre-approved for credit offers, uh, when in fact they had not been pre-approved for credit offers. And what we allege in that our complaint is that Credit Karma knew that this practice would drive consumers to pursue the offer, you know, regardless of the fact that many of them actually had not been pre-approved. And we did something quite unique in that case that I hope other companies pay attention to. Consumers did not directly lose money from the practices we alleged, but it did waste their time. And what we were able to secure in that case is $1.3 million, excuse me, $3 million for consumers who lost time. Uh, time is money. We recognize that. And we want to make sure, A, that companies are paying a price for engaging in these practices, and B, that consumers can see some compensation when their time has been wasted or when their money has been wasted. There are lots of dark patterns, but there are four key ones the FTC has identified. Let's go through them one at a time. Techniques that mislead consumers and disguise ad. So this dark pattern includes advertisements that are made to look like independent editorial content. Again, this is not a new issue. We had cases decades ago around companies, for example, on television, having doctors advertise products when they're actually being paid. But digital commerce and the digital environment is creating many more opportunities for this type of deception in an environment that's far more immersive, and thus making consumers more susceptible to deception. So this is indeed a major concern. Another trick in this category is comparison shopping sites that claim to be neutral, but really rank companies based on compensation. There is a lot of that going on. There is a lot of that going on. There also, you know, we brought cases against companies like LendEDU that were accused of engaging in this kind of practice. It's basically pay for play. Top 10 colleges if you want to be a nurse, top 10 winter jackets, whatever. And you think it's an objective ranking and actually it's companies paid to be on that list and it's manipulative. Is disclosure enough if the website said we get paid for rankings or paid by the people we rated? Does that take care of this or not? Not necessarily. We've brought cases where companies have somewhere on their website include disclosures, but companies can in fact use dark patterns to conceal disclosures. They can put disclosures in fine print. They can put it sort of with a gray background so they're hard to read. All of us, I'm confident, all of your listeners have been to websites where they see disclosures where they need to put on their glasses to read it. And maybe they still can't read it. And maybe they won't read it because there's so much text. So disclosures certainly can help. Companies need to disclose if they're engaging in these types of practices. But they are necessary but not sufficient. We've seen disclosures all the time that simply don't actually apprise consumers of what's going on. And here's one of Checkbook's favorites. Countdown timers designed to make you believe you only have a limited time to purchase a product or service when the offer is still available well after the timer runs out. Yeah, that's exactly right. You go to these websites and you, you see a clock in the corner. It's tick, tick, ticking. The offer's about to end. And you feel like you're in one of these action movies where a bomb's about to explode. 
You know, the reality, of course, is that most companies don't have offers the last 60 seconds or 60 minutes or whatever. But companies know that creating the sense of urgency, uh, creating, you know, this is sort of related a sense of scarcity, that this is the last product or that we're, you know, running out of inventory. It has a psychological effect on people. It makes people think, oh, I better buy the product now. That can certainly be deceptive because, again, in most cases, there is not an inspiring offer and often this sense of scarcity is also false. Checkbook did an investigation and we found that with some hotels or with some online travel agencies, they put like one room left at this price or something, when in fact we checked several days later and there were many more rooms available. They, they were just giving this false sense of scarcity. That would be a dark pattern as well, right? I think it would be. And again, what effect does that have? The consumer sees that and says, oh, shoot, I'd better book the room now, even if I'm not yet ready to make the call. Uh, So this really does have a distorting effect on the marketplace. Bad for consumers, bad for companies that are more honest. All right, let's move on to dark pattern number two, hiding the fact that you're signing up for a subscription service and then making it difficult to cancel the subscription or stop the charges. Boy, is that one that people run into all the time. Absolutely. We've been very aggressive on this. The $100 million action against Vonage, where we alleged that the company made it nearly impossible for consumers to cancel their services. We also issued a policy statement in 2021 where we said companies need to make it as easy for consumers to cancel services as it is to enroll. But again, we know that companies continue to engage in these practices. And my message to companies is that if they continue to use tricks and traps to prevent people from canceling their services, to trap them in services they don't want, or trick them in a way that prevents them from canceling, we are prepared to hold them accountable. Vonage paid $100 million. I hope that sends a strong message to these companies that these practices won't be profitable. And if consumers do encounter issues in canceling their services, Go to FTC.gov and tell us about it. Report the company to the FTC. That's the best way to ensure that we can hold these companies accountable. You know, a lot of times this starts with a free or risk-free trial offer, which sounds great, no obligation. But as you found in the case of uh, ABC Mouse, it's easy to get the free trial and maybe not so easy to cancel. Yeah, exactly. And ABC Mouse, I believe that was a $10 million case, where once again, very easy to sign up. This was an educational, online education company. And then an absolutely hellish, uh, as we allege in the complaint, cancellation process where consumers had to jump through all sorts of hoops to try to get their service canceled. This makes consumers absolutely miserable. Depending on the facts, it can also be illegal. And that's what we've made clear through our action against ABC Mouse, through our action against Vonage, through our policy statement. And we're going to continue to get that message out both to consumers and to businesses. And as I know you're aware, and from me talking to victims, in many cases, if the risk-free trial offer is from a con artist, from scammers, uh, you sign up for the risk-free trial and all of a sudden you're signed up for all this other stuff that you can't unsubscribe to. So you got to be really careful who you're giving your credit card number out to. Yeah, that's absolutely right. We've seen many, I've been involved in cases exactly of that nature where scammers say they're signing you up for credit monitoring when it's actually something of a very different nature. Or you sign up for the service and the scammer sells your information, including your payment information, uh, to other scammers who then compound the harm by preying on you themselves. You know, credit cards are a wonderful thing. Online payments are a wonderful thing. They make payment a lot easier. 
but they also make scamming a lot easier because it allows companies to set up these recurring charges that are very lucrative, but that often are without consumers' consent. And that's why we're being so aggressive in this space. So here's a dark pattern that's becoming more common. Junk fees. You agree to a price, and when you get the bill, you find extra charges tacked on. We're going to talk to Sam about that next. This is Consumerpedia, powered by Checkbook.org. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll consider being a Consumerpedia supporter by using the link at the bottom of the show notes to make a small contribution each month. This is Consumerpedia. We're going over four key dark patterns. We've already covered one, techniques that mislead consumers and disguise ads, and two, hiding the fact that you're signing up for a subscription service and then making it difficult to cancel. Dark pattern number three, hiding junk fees. Here's how that works. A company will advertise only part of a product's total price to lure you in, and they don't mention other mandatory charges until late in the buying process. Sam, tell us more about that. Most consumers, I suspect, have encountered something like this. You see an ad for a product, says it's $45. Uh, You get excited, that's the price you want. You do some comparison shopping, you see it's the lowest price. Uh, You begin the process of making the purchase. You go through a number of screens, you enter your payment information, your shipping information, sign up for email lists, et cetera, et cetera. And then at the very end, they say, oh, by the way, there's a $4.50 handling fee. Uh, There's a $5 storage fee. There's a $6. You know, they tack on these fees at the very end. And by that time, Consumers have already turned over their information. They've gone through this lengthy process. And many of them, even if they're frustrated, might just say, you know what, forget about it. Even though this is no longer the lowest price, I'm just going to agree because there's already a sunk cost. I certainly understand why consumers do that, but it's unfortunate because what these companies then have done is taken more money from consumers than they actually were willing to pay. So one of the messages we're sending through our report and through our enforcement actions is that companies should be upfront about the price they're charging. That's not only good for consumers, it allows companies to compete on price, on the real price, rather than a basically a teaser price that isn't real. That's a really important issue, one that consumer advocates are dealing with right now, trying to get the DOT to come up with some regulations, is the fact that if you do search engine prices for things, various things, it could be airfare or whatever, and one has a fee and one doesn't, the one with the fee looks every bit as good or better than the one that does have the fee. You have no idea of what your bottom line price is going to be. That's To me, that's misleading or deceptive. That's exactly right. And, you know, airlines are, as you reference, are in the Department of Transportation's jurisdiction, not ours. Uh, but we brought cases in this area, too, just to name one, uh, we brought a major action against Lending Club, which is a company probably many of your listeners are familiar with. And it, for exactly this, what we allege is that they hid fees uh, that consumers probably did not see during the application process. And they kind of buried the mention of these fees until much later in the application process. Maybe the consumer didn't see it at all. Maybe they saw it, but it was already too late. That company ended up paying, I believe, $10 million dollars. Companies that do this and think it will juice their profits, I certainly understand why they might think that, but they can expect to hear from us uh, and they can expect to pay a price uh, because in many cases, this type of practice is deceptive and it's illegal. And dark pattern number four, maybe the most troubling one, tricking consumers into sharing data. This is hugely problematic. We know that data is as valuable as money for many companies. Data is valuable for advertising. 
Uh, data is valuable uh, often for um, in the political context. Data is valuable for lenders who might want to be able to profile consumers. And we know that companies are eager to get as much data from consumers as they can, as much personal information from consumers as they can. So one of the things they might do is use dark patterns to trick consumers into turning over more personal information than they think they are turning over. We brought a case against, just to name one example, against a smart TV manufacturer called Vizio. Uh, what we allege is that the company enabled a default setting called smart interactivity, which supposedly enabled consumers to receive program offers and suggestions. But behind the scenes, what we allege is that Vizio was actually collecting and sharing consumers' television viewing habits with third parties. Uh, we don't want companies tricking consumers into turning over their money without their consent. And we feel just as strongly that companies cannot trick consumers into turning over their personal information without their consent. It's not only a financial risk to consumers, it can harm consumers in other ways. For example, compromising their privacy or exposing them to identity theft. We take theft of data just as seriously as we take theft of money. In reading your report, one of the dark patterns in this area was described as giving consumers choices about privacy settings or the data that's shared, but this is really designed to steer consumers towards giving away a whole lot of personal information? That's exactly right. For example, and I think we use this example in the report, companies might tell users that they're collecting information for one purpose and then use it for another purpose. Or uh, they might give consumers a choice where they say, if you want to participate in the service, you need to accept all our terms and conditions. And the accept button is bold and pretty and, you know, it's in a nice color and consumers want to click and it's really big. And then the reject button is small and grayed out and in small print. And what that is, it's a nudge. It's saying, accept me. And this is not an accident. These companies do behavioral studies to assess what is more most likely to get consumers to accept their terms. And these techniques can work. But again, if consumers are being tricked, if they're turning over data without their consent, or it's being used in a way that they did not agree to, we're prepared to take action just as we did with Vizio and many other cases. So Sam, in your mind, or when you make decisions whether to prosecute or not, is there a difference between like marketing? I mean, marketing is designed to move product, whether you want it or not, the goal is to get you to buy, and honest marketing and marketing that's doing dark patterns is tricking you. I mean, there's clearly a difference, right? It's a really important question, Herb. And you're right that all advertising, to some extent, is an effort to get people to buy a product. But to be clear, you know, the FTC is not against advertising. What the FTC is against is very specific techniques that are designed not to give consumers choices, which is the goal of advertising, but to impede consumer decision making, but to obscure information, to make it harder for consumers to choose among products and services, to choose what kind of data they want to share. So I think big picture, the way I would distinguish honest advertising from the kind of dark patterns we're seeing is that honest advertising at its best is about giving consumers choices and giving them an opportunity to buy the product or service that most suits their needs. Dark patterns are about manipulating consumers' decision-making in a way that can leave them with products or services they don't want or leave them having shared data that they didn't want to share. 
I don't know if this is a dark pattern or not, but I remember when I was at the Newhouse School at Syracuse, shout out to the Orange, there was the famous case of Campbell's Soup putting the marbles in the soup bowl that was shown on the TV commercials because it kicked all the vegetables and the noodles up and it made it look like there was more in the bowl than there really was. If there was action taken against them. Would, would that be a dark pattern, something like that? Potentially. I think one of the things we're seeing is that, you know, there was certainly a long history on television advertising of that nature where the appearance of food is manipulated. Often now when you look at packages, you see little disclaimers that, you know, the product's been enlarged or it's a serving suggestion. What we see though, Herb, is that these techniques are getting a lot more sophisticated. In the digital environment, uh, which is of course an interactive environment, companies have a lot more opportunities to shape consumer behavior. You know, on television, uh, consumers can just change the channel they don't need to be led through a series of screens. Online marketers have a lot more control. They can use all of the sort of techniques of television, of sound, visual, etc. But they can also design user interfaces in a way that uh, you just can't do through television. I should say that's changing with smart television. We're seeing some of the same problems yeah. with smart TVs, like I referenced Vizio, that we are with traditional television. But I think the key lesson here is that the digital environment, whether it's on your TV or your tablet or your phone or your computer, is making it a lot more easier for marketers to manipulate people than it was on, we'll say, traditional television. As we've been saying, dark patterns are designed to be sneaky and misleading. So how do you protect yourself from companies that conduct business this way? That's straight ahead. This is Consumerpedia, powered by Checkbook.org. Consumerpedia Fast Facts. The term dark patterns was coined by user experience design consultant Harry Brignall in 2010. His website, darkpatterns.org, is dedicated to cataloging the various types of dark patterns and calling out companies that use them. Brignall has identified a dozen types of dark patterns, such as sneak into the basket, where a retailer sneaks something into your shopping cart, like a warranty or service plan that runs up the bill unless you catch it and remove it. Yes, the internet does make it easier to disguise deceptive designs. But dark patterns, such as phony sales and bait-and-switch tactics, existed well before the digital age. Sam Levine runs the Consumer Protection Bureau at the Federal Trade Commission, the government agency that goes after businesses that use deceptive dark patterns to trick you. Sam, it's clear that dark patterns are unfair and they're being used more often, and companies are getting better at disguising them. So how do we protect ourselves? Well, we provide incredibly useful resources at ftc.gov, and I encourage your listeners to go to the website. There's a tab right at the top for advice and guidance where we have all sorts of tips on avoiding these patterns. And you can also sign up for consumer alerts where we send regular alerts about the types of uh, manipulation we're seeing. All that said, I want to be very clear that the onus is not on consumers to protect themselves. These are very sophisticated techniques. The onus is on companies to not engage in techniques that are deceptive or unfair, to not engage in techniques that lead consumers to lose money when they didn't consent, to lose their personal information when they didn't consent, and many of the other harms we outlined in the report. So there are absolutely things that consumers can and should do, but the FTC's expectation is that companies will comply with the law 
and not put the onus on their customers to protect themselves. We don't want to see these techniques in the marketplace, period. And while we always assume that the younger generation who grew up in the digital world knows about all this stuff, it would be a smart idea to talk to the kids or the grandkids or whatever about the tricks that they may experience online because they simply just may not be aware of them. That's absolutely right. We held a workshop on stealth advertising directed to children, and many of the researchers said exactly what you said. Even for young people who grew up online, digital natives, they may be very good at navigating TikTok, uh, but they might not be so good at distinguishing, for example, between what's an advertisement and what's organic content. So there is a lot even for young people to learn about how these techniques can manipulate them. But I can't stress enough that we are not just asking consumers, especially young people, to protect themselves. We are asking companies to be aware of their legal obligations and to follow them to the letter. I know we're going to be hearing a lot more about dark patterns in the years ahead. Sam, thank you for taking so much time out to be with us today. Herb, it's been a pleasure. Well, that's it for this episode of Consumerpedia. You can subscribe to us on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. Remember, we release new ones every other Thursday. Another way you can support this show is to follow us on Consumerpedia on Facebook and Instagram and at MyConsumerpedia on Twitter. I'm Herb Weisbaum. Thanks for listening. Consumerpedia is a public service of Checkbook.org. We're a unique nonprofit that helps you save money and make smarter choices. You can count on Checkbook to help you find the best services and avoid the worst with local ratings that are accurate and unbiased. If you live in or around these seven cities and haven't joined Checkbook yet, check us out. Boston, Chicago, Philadelphia, Seattle, San Francisco, Minneapolis-St. Paul, and Washington, D.C. To get your free 30-day subscription, go to checkbook.org consumerpedia. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll become a supporter by using the link at the bottom of the show notes to make a small contribution each month. Consumerpedia, empowering consumers to save money and make smarter choices.